Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all are weak today. I said, good morning, everybody. Amen. I want you to take out your Bibles and go with me to an Old Testament book, the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. As you're turning over there, i got to give all my peeps a shout out in West Monroe, the campus in West Monroe. And uh, it's good to have all of them joining us today. Amen. Well, it's such a joy to be with you. I feel right at home. Every time I come out here, I want to move out here. Number one, because of you. Number two, because of the weather. Hallelujah. How many know that's as spiritual as you? The weather. Praise the Lord. In Louisiana, it's hot. Amen. So anyway, it's so good to see you today. I'm so excited to be with you and uh, to share my heart with you. I have some, I just believe some strong revelation that I want to give and pour into your life today. Is that okay? And uh, how about how about we leave out of here better than we were when we came in? That we do something incredible. So my time is counting down. Thank you, Chancellor, for having me come. And I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to being with you guys the next couple of days. Turn with me to the book of Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. And I want to read two verses of Scripture there. And then we're going to get all in our Bible this morning. And... Uh, Today I want to talk to you about vision and identity. Vision and identity. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse number 1 says, I will stand my watch, I will set myself upon the rampart, and I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Verse 2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. Now, I want you to underline a couple of things this morning. Number one, I want you to go back to verse number one. And I want you to underline the phrase where it says, He will watch to see what he will say to me. I will watch to see what he will say to me. And then go to verse number two. And in verse number two, I want you to underline the phrase, That he may run who reads it. He may run who reads it. I want to pray and ask the Holy Ghost to help me. How many know he's the great teacher? Pastor Shane's not. So let's let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that's in this room. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. These, These young men and young women who are called and anointed of God don't need another sermon. They don't need a beautiful homily. They need a revelation from God. And so this morning, Holy Ghost, we invite you to write upon the tables of our heart inspire vision. Lord, today, I pray that as I speak, they will see. I pray that as I speak, they will see. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I know that I'm talking not only to you, but to our other campuses. And as ministers, as people who are called of God, there is a weapon that God has given you that I believe is the most powerful weapon a human being can have. I believe that a sinner can take this weapon, a lost person, an unsaved person can take this weapon, become the greatest success in life just by using this one tool. It's called vision. Vision is powerful. There's a couple reasons that vision is powerful. Number one, vision determines identity. You cannot receive what you cannot see. How you see yourself determines how your enemy sees you. So if your vision is skewed, then your identity is skewed. 
Your vision determines your identity. According to the Word of God, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 1, Habakkuk said, I'm going to stand guard and I'm going to wait to see what God will say to me. Now that's confusing to me because those are two conflicting senses. A person does not wait to see what God would say or a person would say. A person normally would listen to hear what somebody's going to say. But vision for the child of God comes from the voice of God. God speaks and we see something. This is the power of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of the Lord. Faith is the ability to see what nobody else can see. And as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing that will distinguish you from everybody else on the planet is your ability to see something when God says something that other people don't only not hear, but they cannot see. Vision is the ability to see into atmospheres and to realms and to directions. People ask me all the time, how do you do what you do in church and how have you grown what you've grown? I went to my church and I saw what nobody else saw, what other hundreds of other preachers said, we're not going to go to West Monroe because they saw an, a situation that was devastated by division and strife. I went and God gave me a set of eyes. God spoke to me and created in me a vision. Vision is powerful because vision determines your identity. The problem is most ministerial students determine their entire vision based off of what some church growth expert has told them how they ought to believe or the programs that they ought to initiate to be able to grow their organizations. But I want to tell you that real vision comes from a word from the Lord. Habakkuk said, I will wait to see what he will say to me. When God speaks, I should see something. The reason that's important is because vision determines identity. And if you're not getting your vision from the Word of the Lord, in other words, you've got to get before God and get a word from God. If you're not getting your vision from a word from God, then you're getting your vision from a word of man and you can only take on the identity of flesh. And flesh is limited. But when you're able to get a word from God, you can see with the Spirit of God, with the eyes of the Spirit of God, and you can get an identity that's in God. The majority of the church world right now in America has their whole identity in programs that man has designed, flesh has designed for them. I'm not knocking good programs. God is into good programs, but not every good program is a God program. Not everything good is God. And this is the reason you've got to get a word from the Lord. Now, vision determines identity. According to Proverbs 29, verse number 18, the Bible says, without a vision, people perish. One of the translations is there, people cast off restraints. Vision determines identity. Vision brings boundaries into your life. If you'll go back through your life, and especially anybody in here, I don't care how young or old you are, every defeat has come as you've gotten out of the area or the boundaries of vision for your life. Vision brings boundaries. Notice he said, I will wait to see what he will say to me and I will listen so that when I hear, I will stand corrected. Vision brings direction. Vision brings boundaries. The difference between a flood and a mighty river is the bank. A flood becomes devastating because it overflows its boundaries, but a river within proper boundaries can become an incredible force of energy in the earth. Are y'all here this morning? 
Amen. I told you I was going to jump off real deep. So vision, I want you to write this down. Vision determines identity. And it's just really, really important for us to have a vision that's based on the Word of the Lord. So this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you for a few minutes. And in hoping that I speak to you, you will see something. And before I'm through today, I'd like to take you all the way back to the Word of God and show you how God sees you. And how you ought to see yourself since vision determines identity and our vision needs to be based on the word of the Lord. So number one, write this down. Vision determines identity. Number two, write this down. Perspective determines vision. Perspective determines vision. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. If vision determines identity, then our perspective determines vision. Everybody look this way. All of us look at life through a set of glasses. We all have rose-colored glasses on. Your background has formed opinions, perspectives, and ideas in your, your human psyche that helps determine how you look at life. Some of you are looking at life totally wrong, totally opposite of what God looks at life because your background has determined your perspective. Your perspective has determined your vision, and your vision has determined your identity. Can I help you with this? How many remember the 12 spies? You remember the 12 spies that were sent in to spy out the land? The Bible says 10 come back with an evil report saying we're as grasshoppers in our sight and so are we in their sight. Two come back with a good report saying that we're able to take the land. Now follow me on this. Ten come back with an evil report. Two come back with a good report. Why did the two come back with a good report and the ten come back with an evil report? When you go to the book of Numbers, you'll find out that the ten, when they went in, the Bible says they were laying on their grass, on their belly, in the grass. Well, when you're on your belly in the grass and you're you're beside grasshoppers, then you determine that perspective of grasshoppers determines your perspective of your enemy. Their perspective determined their vision. Their vision determined their identity. So their perspective was a grasshopper mentality. The grasshopper mentality is very important because the devil will use uh, your identity against you. Listen to what they said. They came back and said, we were as grasshoppers in our sight and so were we in their sight. In other words, your enemy sees you exactly like you see yourself. Okay? So watch this. They come back and they've been on their belly in the grass. And how do I know that? Because rabbinical tradition tells me that the two, Joshua and Caleb, who came back with a good report, the the rabbinical tradition says they were the ones who were carrying the staves with the fruit on it. And rabbinical tradition says the reason they came back with a good report is because they climbed up into the trees. So watch this. Joshua and Caleb were in the trees, and from the tree's perspective, a giant's not near as big as from a grasshopper's perspective. Come on, are y'all in here this morning? So perspective determines vision. Vision determines identity. Let me take it farther. How many remember the story of Abraham? God speaks to Abraham said, I'm going to make your seed as the sand of the seashore. I said it. Abraham, can you see it? And Abraham said, I can't see that. I don't know if you know this, God, but, uh, you know, uh, Sarah's not quite as young as she used to be. She's not as fertile as she used to be. And I'm an old man and things just ain't working like they used to work. Do I need to expound on that or y'all college students? You can figure that. Okay. All right. Just making sure. So watch it. I can't do it. I can't. This is not going to work. So God said, listen, listen carefully. God said, God said, you're going to, your seed is going to be like the sand of the seashore. Can you see it? And Abraham said, I can't see it. And God said, I know why you can't see it. Go read it in your Bible. He says, come out from under your tent. 
And he takes him out. He said, I'm going to make you as the stars of the heavens. Can you see it? And Abraham looked up and said, I can see the stars of the heavens. Yes, I can see it. Watch this. The reason Abraham could not see what God first spoke to him is because his vision was obstructed by the tent. And the reason some of you have the identity that you have is because your entire life's perspective has been formed by some kind of tent or structure that you were under. But the key to discovering who you are in Jesus is to get a word from God. Allow God to pull you out from under the tent that you're under. Get you out from under the ceiling that's holding you back so that you can look out into the heavens and you can discover who you really are. That'd be a good place right there to give the Lord a praise. Watch this. Vision determines identity. But perspective determines your vision. You say, well, that's all Old Testament stuff. What about the New Testament? Glad you asked. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. I think they're going to put it up on the screen for us here. And I'm just going to summarize. Look, everybody look there. It says, uh, no, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 22 and 23. Here's what Jesus said, because I've got to move. I've got time running down. Jesus said, the light of the body is the eye. And if your your eye is full of light, then the whole body is full of light. Go to the next verse. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Keep that verse on the screen right there. Jesus said, vision is so important. Because vision determines identity. Vision is the entrance of light. How you see yourself. If you have the right vision, your whole life becomes illuminated. Direction comes. Boundaries are established. God speaks and you see. Your potential is unleashed. You can see what nobody else sees. Your vision is the key to that. But then he turns around and says in the next verse, he says, but if your vision is bad... He said the whole body is full of darkness. So if you have the wrong vision, your whole body's full of darkness. But then he makes this crazy statement that doesn't seem to apply at all. Notice he says, he says, but therefore the light that is in you, if the light that is in you is darkness. Well, hold it. How can light be darkness? Light can only be darkness is if you're looking at darkness, but you perceive it is the light. So how's that possible? The Bible says that in the last days they'll call good evil and evil good. Deception will set in. So watch this. Jesus said, if you have the right vision, your life is full of illumination. If you have the wrong vision, darkness, demon spirits, darkness can come into your life and can control you and bind you and keep you from discovering who you are and keep you from fulfilling your potential. He said, but the worst part of all is when your perspective is wrong. When you think your outlook on life is right... But in reality, it's deception. You're looking at life through rose-colored glasses. Your societal upbringing have determined how you see life. And you can think that what you think about life... How many has ever been around somebody that thinks they're right about something and they'll argue with you to the death that they're right about something but you know that they're wrong about it? Their perspective is messed up. So watch this. Vision determines identity. Perspective determines vision. So as a child of God, here's what we got to do. we got to go to the Word of the Lord, especially those of us who are called to be ministers of the Gospel. And we need God to speak to us 
to show us who we really are. We need God to strip away the tents of our life, the lids of our leadership, to strip away those things of our life that have formed perspectives in us, that have caused us to form visions, that have caused us to form identities that are skewed and messed up. The body of Christ does not know who they are. We don't know who we are. If I were to ask you, how much of the gay agenda, how many people in America believe and espouse the gay agenda? The majority of you would say, I've done this all over the country. People say 30%, 40%, 50%. I've had all kinds of hands. 2.8% of the entire American population espouses the gay lifestyle. Yet 2.8% have enforced or pressed that agenda upon the church when over 50% of Americans claim they believe the Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ, claim that they're Christians, and yet we can't stand up. Do you know why that is? Because we don't know who we are in Jesus. There was a man by the name of John G. Lake. John G. Lake discovered the power of the authority of the believer. And here's what he said. Take the plague that is killing millions of people. Put it in the palm of my hand and I'll put it under a microscope. And I'll promise you that the plague will die in my hand. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. They put the plague in the palm of his hand. He puts it under a microscope and the plague dies under the micro, uh, under the, 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 the scientist's eyes. John G. Lake had such a, a, an understanding and revelation of the authority of the believer that determined his identity, went to Spokane, Washington. Spokane, Washington became the healthiest city in America. The sick and the lame, that those who were terminally ill would go to his hospital and walk out healed, not because of medication, but because somebody laid hands on them and believe what the Word of God says, we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to to tell you, if you discover who you are, there's nothing in America that can stop S-U-M or you from doing something super sta- supernatural and substantial for the kingdom of God in the earth. This is the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church, according to the book of Colossians chapter 3, is to push back the forms of darkness and make known to the earth the glory of God. The proof of the manifestation of the kingdom of Almighty God is the expulsion of everything that is anti-kingdom. You can't say, I'm a Christian and I believe that His kingdom has come in me and live in an area that is dominated by darkness and not push back that darkness. A real believer will push back darkness. A real child of God who knows who they are in Jesus Christ, who has the proof of the manifestation of the kingdom. Jesus said to the Pharisees, if I cast out Satan with my finger, then the kingdom has come to you. I want to tell you something. The kingdom has not come until the sick are healed. The kingdom has not come until the lost are running to the altars and getting saved. The kingdom has not come till demons are being pressed out. The kingdom has not come till this area of Oakland has darkness pressed out of them. The kingdom has not come. Up until that time, we're having church. 
We're having spiritual experiences. I'm not knocking any of that. But at some point, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to seek God until the manifestation of the kingdom come. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, somebody stand up and execute the kingdom of God. Listen, greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. I don't care what the spirit of Antichrist is that runs in this world. The church has greater power, greater authority, greater strength. We just got to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. Are y'all here? All right, I got four minutes to show you something. So what does the Bible say that you are? Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13, says that Jesus died on a cross for your sin and my sin, redeemed us from the curse of the law so that the blessing of Abraham... Everybody say the blessing of Abraham. So that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through the promise and they might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now the ultimate blessing, listen to me, the ultimate blessing of Jesus dying on the cross is for people to be partakers of the Holy Spirit, the heavenly gift, and experience Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the ultimate. That is the apex. That's the starting point. It's the foundation of everything. Getting people born again is the foundation of everything. Getting them to Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything. Jesus died on a cross so that all nations, Gentiles, that's what it's talking about there, all nations could experience the promise of the Spirit through faith. So that the blessing of Abraham would come on us. So what is the blessing of Abraham? Yes, the blessing of Abraham is so that we can all have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but there's also some mitigating blessings that come along with it. I, I say mitigating some following blessings that come along with it. It's found in Genesis chapter 14. Would you like to see what God told Abraham? All right, everybody look at me. See these glasses? This morning, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a 3D look at who you are. I like 3D movies. Y'all like 3D movies? Here's a 3D look. I want you to go with me to Genesis 14. Look at it on the screen right here. Genesis 14. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of, the, of God Most High. And he blessed him and said... Now notice this. He said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth... And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And He gave him a tithe of all. This is whenever Melchizedek comes out and blesses Abraham. The blessing of Abraham has three dimensions to it. Now, of course, the apex, the beginning, the foundation of all this is that we have relationship with Jesus. But there's some other things that come with relationship with Jesus. Because salvation doesn't just mean forgiveness of sin. Sozo means wholeness. So there's other things. So go back up to the verse before that, guys. Go back to the verse before that. There are three blessings that God promises you. Now look at me. I'm going to speak something through the Word of the Lord. I want you to see yourself differently. I don't care how you were brought up. I don't care what hood you came up in. I don't care what your family says. I don't care what church says about you. I don't care what preachers have told you. This morning, I just want to show you a 3D look at who you are in two minutes. Is that the right clock? Great day. Two minutes. All right, look at this. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God. The, that's the first time the phrase El Elyon is used in the Bible. It means the God of elevation. 
That's what it means. It means the elevated God, the God of elevation. Oh, I got 16 minutes. Thank you, Jesus. The God of elevation. Here's the first blessing. Everybody say 3D. Here's the first dimension of the Abrahamic blessing. That God is going to elevate you. It's the blessing of elevation. It's the blessing of elevation. Now look at me. You can be like everybody else and you can go out and you can pastor your little church of 40, 50, 60 people or you can go out and rock the nations. The Bible says you'd be the head and not the tail. Listen to this. The Bible says, and we're going to look at it in just a moment, Deuteronomy 28, you to be above only and not beneath. That's the blessing of elevation. I don't care what side of the tracks. You might have come up in the poorest neighborhood in whatever part of the country you come from. No matter where you're watching, I don't care where you're at, I'm telling you that we serve a God through relationship with Jesus Christ. He blesses you going in and He blesses you going out. He does not leave you where you're at. He pulls you up and elevates you. God wants to take you to the top. God wants to take you to the top. Why is it that we have preachers that think they graduate from school and they just are satisfied with a church of 100, 150 people? Come on. What about us going in and building the largest churches in the world? See, I know you guys don't think like that, but I'm telling you right now, the rest of the world is experiencing this. And the church is still setting back because we've allowed something to determine our perspective, who's determined our vision, who's given us an identity, and we think we can't rise above it. And you can't because you can't receive what you cannot see. But this morning, I want you to see yourself as greater than what you are right now. This morning, I want you to see yourself preaching in front of thousands. I want you to see yourself giving an altar call and thousands. And in fact, forget thousands. They've been doing that now for about 50 years. How about let's give an altar to call and millions of people receive Jesus at a time. Million. In fact, how about let's go into a city like Nineveh. Come on, an Old Testament rebellious prophet who goes into Nineveh and the Bible says even the cattle get saved. I'm talking about God bringing such a... Why is it that you got to keep your little church mentality? Why can't we let God elevate us up above what we are right now? What if God wanted to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. When I went to West Monroe, I didn't go there to pastor a church. I went there to take a city. I'm talking about a city taking anointing. Not a church anointing. Not just a little church anointing. See, a real church anointing is a city taking anointing. Go to Colossians. For this, this is the purpose of, of the church to make known to the principalities and the powers the glory of God. The purpose of the church, the body of Christ, is to rise up in their identity and who they are in Jesus Christ and to bring the kingdom manifestation or allow the manifestation of the kingdom. I'm not talking about kingdom now theology necessarily. I'm talking about this, this identity that we realize who we are in Jesus, that we go in and God gives us countries. That God gives us cities. That God gives us whole towns. We're not just trying to build a little church and get a paycheck. Come on, somebody. We're talking about going in and saving everybody who's lost. Delivering everybody who's demon-possessed and healing all that are sick. Are you all okay? All right. Number two, second dimension. Everybody say 3D. Second dimension. He said, I'm going to make you possessor 
of heaven and earth. This is interesting to me because Christians have no problem possessing heaven. But part of the blessing through relationship with Christ is being a possessor of heaven and earth. So much so that God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land and there's a place called Israel today. What if God wants to give you heaven and earth? What if He actually meant what He said when He said, everywhere that you set the soul of your feet, I'll give it to you as an inheritance. Come on, He's not a respecter of person. If God did that for Abraham, why can't God do that for somebody in here for Oakland? Why can't God do that for somebody in here for San Francisco? Why can't God do somebody, that for somebody for North Carolina or for Florida or, or for down on the Gulf Coast? Why can't God do that? And you know what? Since He's going to do that because He's God and the glory of the Lord's going to cover the earth like the water covers the sea, then why don't you just say, God, since you're going to do it, why don't you do it with me? God wants to give you possession. Here's what I've told our church. And I've, I've been laying this vision out in our church. I said, I, and, and see, I'm, I know this is going to sound weird, but I've been telling our church, you know, we need to be the largest landowner here. We need to possess land. Can I show you something in the Bible? All through the Word of God, every time you see gold, silver, cattle, things like that mentioned, it's called riches. The only time God says it's wealth is whenever you own land. According to the pattern of Scripture, you're not wealthy unless you own land. Now, I know you're wealthy in Jesus. Forget all of that. What I'm telling you is that spirits are territorial. If you don't believe me, just go down here in the gang areas and find out how territorial they are. Get out there, preach the gospel. You'll find out how just how territorial those spirits are. Right? Come on, right? So, they're They're territorial. Since they're territorial, why don't the church of the Lord Jesus Christ begin to possess territory? Again, the manifestation of the kingdom of God, the proof of the manifestation of the kingdom, is the expulsion of everything that is anti-kingdom. So one of the ways you know that the kingdom of God has come is it affects territorially everywhere that you go. So when you go to West Monroe and you say the assembly West Monroe, everybody knows who we are. Do you know why? Because we do whatever we can within the power of what God has given us to possess not only heaven. It's one thing in here to say, let your glory fall. Lord, fill. And that's what most of the church does. They're interested in rolling in the floor and foaming at the mouth and having all these spiritual experiences. But I'm trying to raise up some warriors who don't just have an experience at an altar, but they also go out into the streets and they take territories, they take neighborhoods, they take cities. See, I'm trying to give you a vision. This is the vision of S-U-M. It's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it, it, the reason you do points of light is not just so that you can go out there and expend energy trying to reach some little kid on a street corner. You do points of light in hopes and, 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 and with the purpose of that you're going into territories, that people are going to get saved, that God's going to save somebody, deliver somebody there, and they're going to be a catalyst for the territory. And that's not supposed to be just here, but for those of you who are watching all across the country right now and all around the world, that that is the purpose of SUM. We're raising up an army. There's an army that's arising in the earth. We're raising up an army to preach the gospel and to take territory for Jesus. Everybody say 3D. Here's the third dimension. So the first one is elevation. The second one is possession. The third dimension, are you ready for this? Is dominion. 
is dominion. Notice this. He said, blessed be God who elevates, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. It's one of the few times in the past in the Word of God where enemies into your hand, that phrase is used. If you want a great study, go look at all the times that that phrase is used. It's not very many in the Word of God. He wants to deliver your enemies into your hand. It's actually a, a term that comes out of the East that uh, whenever an, a, a conquering king conquered an enemy, that he was literally delivered into his hand. Delivered into his hand. I don't have time to expound on that. There's a whole other message in that. So watch this. First thing God wants to do is elevate you. Everybody say elevation. God wants to raise you up. By the way, something really cool with elevation, if you go to Psalm 109, last verse, it says, The Lord stands to the right hand of the poor. Psalm 110, verse 1 said, The Lord said to my Lord, Stand ye at my right hand, or set ye at my right hand. Messianic passage about, the, the, about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 109, verse 31 says, The Lord stands to the right hand of the poor. Come right here, brother. Come right here. Come right here. Come right here, man. Come right here. Everybody say elevation. Come on up here. Come on. Come here. Watch this. The Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110, verse 1, God the Father said to Jesus, Set at my right hand. Psalm 109, verse 31 said, The Lord stands to the right hand of the poor. So He's at my right hand. Psalm 110 says He's at His right hand. So watch this. If He's at my right hand in Psalm 109, verse 31, he's at, and, and, and He's at the Lord's right hand in Psalm 110, then that means positionally. And this is what Paul meant when he said He'll raise you up and make you sit to, together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The holiest place in the universe is not the throne room because the angels are there. The redeemed have access to the Father that the angels don't have. The holiest place in the universe is John chapter 1, verse number 18. And that's where the Bible says that Jesus dwelt in the bosom of the Father. Through the blood of Jesus, according to Hebrews, we have access to not only come to the throne like the angels, we have access to come to the throne itself. Everybody say elevation. So God wants to raise you up. Number two, God wants to give you possession. Possession. Number three, God wants to give you dominion. He wants to deliver your enemies into your hands. I don't care what your enemy is. God wants to deliver your enemies into your hands. Now, why am I saying all this? Yes, we're born again. That is the apex. I love Isaiah. Isaiah says, he remember the pit from which you were dug. I love Isaiah. Isaiah said, remember the pit from which you were dug. We were all dug from a pit, weren't we? And you've been made to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The problem is we really don't know who we are. And I'm just learning it myself. I'm coming into it more and more. 3D, God wants to give you possession, elevation, and dominion. All right, go to Deuteronomy 28. We got five minutes and I'm done. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse number 1. Everybody close your Bibles, look right here. Deuteronomy 28, you guys got it? Oh, he don't got it. So everybody's got to open their Bibles. He's he giving me a thumbs down. Everybody go to Deuteronomy 28. Everybody say, elevation, dominion, possession. Now, I want you to see if you can read any of that in what we're about to go through here. Deuteronomy 28. Are you ready? Now it should come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. He will say something, you will see something. Obey the voice of the Lord your God. To observe carefully His commandments which command you this day that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. There's elevation. 
There's elevation. Then notice, he says, and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you. Because you obey the voice of blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall you be in Oakland, and blessed shall you be in Podunk Hollow. Okay, I just I had to give you that interpretation. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring. Blessed shall be your basket, your blessed shall be your kneading bowl, blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies that rise up against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing. In your storehouses, in all that you set your hand to, He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So watch this, just in a few verses, the blessing of God for obeying the voice of the Lord. You get your identity from the voice of the Lord. Your perspective determines your vision. Your vision determines your identity. God says, if you'll listen to my voice, get your vision from me, get your perspective from me, I'll bless you. I'll give you the blessing of elevation, I'll give you the blessing of possession, and I'll give you the blessing of dominion, and that's part of being a believer just as much as being born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. So one last scripture, Galatians chapter 4, and I'm done. Galatians chapter 4. But here's the truth of the matter. Many of us won't walk in it. Many of us won't walk in it because Galatians 4.1 says this, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's a master at all. I go back to the vision thing. Vision is so powerful. Watch this. Vision determines identity, but perspective determines vision. How I see things determines my vision. What I see determines what I can receive. Did you know I can show you this? We can preach this to you. You can go to class. We can tell you who you are in Jesus. But the Bible says until you quit thinking like a child, you're going to be a slave. In other words, if you don't get your perspective changed, if you don't adjust your vision, then what's going to happen? You can be an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, which means whatever God will do for Jesus, God will do for you. You can be an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, but the Bible says you can live in slavery though you're an heir and a master of all. The devil will treat you like a slave as long as you don't know who you are. But if you ever discover your identity... If you ever discover who you really are in Jesus, there's no limitations. There's no limitations. Listen, my daddy used to tell me all the time, you might as well think big and believe big. Because it it takes just as much energy to think and believe small. And look at me. Why not you? Why not you? Why not you be quote-unquote, the next Billy Graham? Why not you be the evangelist who's touching the entire world?